Hello and thank you for listening to the fourth season of the iStart PIA Relay podcast, brought to you by Dementia Researcher. iStart is a professional society and part of the Alzheimer's Association, representing scientists, physicians and other dementia professionals active in researching and understanding the causes and potential treatments of Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. In this five-part series, we've asked members of the iStart professional interest areas to take turns at interviewing their colleagues and being interviewed themselves with the interviewee going on to be the next episode's interviewer. We're sure you've listened to these before, so you'll know what to expect. We'll be releasing one of these podcasts each day in the build-up to the Alzheimer's Association International Conference, which this year takes place online and in Amsterdam. So sit back, turn up the volume, and be ready to hear about these individuals' amazing research fields, the work of the peers, and just what you can expect at this year's conference. Thank you for listening. Hello, and thanks for tuning in. I'm Shana Stites. I am an assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. I chair the, I am co-chair of the Diversity and Disparities PIA. And today I'm delighted to be talking with Imre, Dr. Imre Lingel. Uh, the topic of our conversation will be the eye as a biomarker for the Alzheimer's disease PIA. Hi, Imre. Can you start by, can you start by, um, I'm going to start by asking you to introduce yourself and tell us which PIA you are involved with. Uh, Hi, Shana. Hi, everybody. My name is Imre Lengel. I'm an associate professor at Queen's University, Belfast in the United Kingdom. And uh, I am the communication chair for the I as a biomarker for Alzheimer's disease uh, special interest group. And... uh, Uh, It's a a great pleasure to introduce or or, or tell you a little bit more about uh, what we are doing within this PIA. That's wonderful. Um, Would you like to tell us a little bit about your own work and then maybe how that connects over to what the PIA is up to? So uh, I originally started to work on the brain and uh, as a biochemist was interested in how learning and memory processes work and it's sort of naturally segue me into how problems with learning and memory uh, uh, affects uh, the biochemical and, and, and physiological processes in the brain. And um, the, the, then suddenly I made a change and the change was uh, to start looking at signs and similarities between what happens in the eye in Alzheimer's disease. The reason this became quite interesting because uh, at that time, that was about 2002-2004, that was the area when suddenly ideas started to emerge that there is a potential that the the events taking place in the eye and the events taking place in the brain might be reflecting uh, on, on each other in one way or the other. So my background from Alzheimer's uh, disease in the brain, especially studying the hippocampus, led me to to start investigating what we can see in the eye. And and that basically uh, why I joined uh, the PIA. We had a few publications uh, uh, that was through the iStart uh, and and, and the journal associated with it. So uh, the Alzheimer's Association papers so that's the reason why uh, I joined the PIA, and it's a it, it's it's a great thing to do. Um, the 
opportunity to exchange ideas with people who are interested in the eye, but they may not be necessarily working uh, in the eye domain was a, a very exciting opportunity for me. The, so you're in a, I want to make sure, so this is a work involving the eye as a biomarker in Alzheimer's disease. Sounds like it's been uh, building for about a decade now, maybe a little bit more. I, I agree with you. It's probably a little bit more. Uh, we probably started to formulate ideas around this uh, 20 years ago, and we were in the first one. So but there are many... about a decade ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, it's a very interesting uh, sort of transition from the brain to the eye and, 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 and all that background. I have to say at the beginning, when we started to talk to neurologists about looking at the eye as a potential surrogate for the brain, we weren't very popular. Um, but of course, uh, at that time, we didn't have necessarily the right methodologies and technologies available to make that transition quite smooth. As soon as imaging uh, with the so-called optical coherence tomography, which can uh, identify the different layers of the retina, and we started to see atrophy uh, happening in the eye, then the transition sort of became much more easy. I have, a, I actually have a bunch of questions. I'm very curious about the technology you're using to study the eye and to study these phenomenon. Before we get there, can I back you up a little bit to make sure I'm clear on how your working group that you're part of is part of the PIA and what parts, whether it's the PIA, the working group, are all studying the eye or or how that's how those organizations are positioned relative to the study of the eye as a biomarker, and then of course your position within the the working group. So uh, it, it's actually uh, was a very interesting uh, way the PIA uh, came about. Uh, Femke Bowman, who used to be our uh, chair uh, of this this PIA, um, and some other colleagues organized the meeting in uh, I think it it was in Washington. Uh, where they tried to pull together people who had some uh, interest in the eye uh, and, and brain connection. And I think everyone got very surprised how many people turned up at that meeting and not just from... What year? Uh, that, that's a very good question. Probably I have that. Alzheimer's disease myself, so I, I don't necessarily remember, but it, it was like uh, within the last 10 years. Okay. And when this meeting uh, sort of uh, realized uh, itself and we had a lot of discussion uh, around the table and in the rows uh, some heated discussions and some disagreement it was very clear that there is quite a quite a need to bring together the different expertise from neuropathology to uh, 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 neuroimaging and neurology uh, and try to understand really how we can link the different type of information together. So uh, that sort of was a hotbed uh, for our peer. And uh, I was lucky enough that uh, I was invited to join this, this group uh, first as a member and, and later on uh, a steering committee member. And then eventually I took uh, over the communication chair for uh, for the time being, trying to disseminate some of these ideas uh, that we are formulating. And the, the, the committee is actually made up uh, by a, a very different dis disciplines. Um, 
so our chair is is uh, interested in the brain but more on the basic science translational uh, uh, domain uh, Robert Risman uh, in in San Diego and then uh, our vice chair is is a card carrying pathologist so Dietmar is really Dietmar Tal uh, did a lot of very important work on uh, how pathological uh, information can be translated uh, especially in relationship to to the eye uh, our our chair uh, program chair is Jessica Alber and uh, and we have a, a junior chair who is Liz de Grove and another uh, uh, steering committee member is Maya Coronio uh, and the people are coming from some from the United States some from Europe so it's a very uh, nice mixture and uh, currently we have 316 members uh, so it's a it's a it's a it's a very good group which is um, uh, trying to bring together the different ideas around eye and vision if you were gonna if you could comment on what are like the for the top two or three topics like hot topics in the PR right now so uh, the what we are really uh, doing quite a lot of work around is trying to discuss why some labs uh, do not find exactly the same uh, uh, on pathological sections, for example, on clinical imaging. Uh, uh, so so there is some disparity uh, between the labs, but thankfully all these labs are very very willing to discuss. Uh, how to harmonize these things. So the, the, the hot topic, uh, there are many, but, but really a very important topic that uh, the PI is making a, a, a lot of work on, is trying to understand how we could use the histopathology that we can use uh, on, on cadaver uh, tissues. How can we harmonize that, that every lab will get the same results. The reason why this is important because there are some disparities between detecting amyloid beta or phosphatau in the eye versus the brain and it seems that there are some methodological significant methodological diversity and that might explain why one lab uh, uh, finds something different than others. This harmonization is is the one of the hot topics uh, which we are covering uh, there are regular uh, pathological meetings where we people uh, from different labs share images and uh, and then there is a, a very strong very clean and, and open discussion about why you might have found this or is that feature which we identified on the image um, is is the same or not so, so this is on the pathological side, but of course, with the ever-developing ophthalmic imaging technologies, there are better and better methods to find the fine details, to identify fine details on, on retinal images. And uh, that is another area where we work a lot to try to harmonize how people in the different institutions would generate uh, <clears throat> retinal images. So we would be able to analyze those images in a very uh, consistent way. <clears throat> so uh, with the different laboratories, we have different uh, 
or different clinics, because really this is now a clinical domain when we are imaging people uh, directly um, uh, with different uh, modalities, different imaging modalities that are actually used on a clinic on the everyday level, because that's a key element. And the two, of course, this harmonization of imaging technologies in vivo and in vitro comes together because the two, as we learn from ophthalmology, comes together very strongly. So despite the fact that we have fantastic uh, technologies like uh, high resolution optical coherence tomography images, for example, uh, we don't necessarily know which layer is what. So identifying these features from the clinic to the pathological sections is, is a very important uh, uh, element of it. And then on the top of that, uh, uh, one of the things that we are identifying as, as a lot of discussion is going on, that uh, we have very good cross-sectional studies, but we don't really have longitudinal studies. And the uh, identification of the need for these longitudinal studies and thinking about what features wants to define so we could actually within this harmonization make sure that these longitudinal images is generated in a way that uh, it will uh, enrich the rest of the community uh, that that's a very very important direction we take that's fabulous so it sounds like the pia is a, a working group that's instrumental in facilitating harmonization across all of these groups that are interested in the topic both for, for purposes of developing the methods that seem quite divergent in ways that might be even problematic. But then also it sounds like there's resource or capacity building and that you might be able to harmonize these various cohorts um, in order to develop longitudinal data. So that's absolutely outstanding. Well, thank you very much. We are, we are, we are really, uh, it, it's, a, it's a great group. Uh, we don't always agree, but that's science for you. Uh, but it's it's a, a very important step forward, and and of course we play pay a lot of attention what else is going on in the world. So, for example, in the United Kingdom, they uh, started this so-called Demon Network, which is uh, looking at how data science could be used for um, uh, enhancing our uh, capabilities. And there, within the data science, within the Demon Network, we have an eye imaging network there as well and some of the members are uh, part of both groups one is really thinking about the computational side the other one is is more the everyday life uh, for the uh, patient involvement and and the two works extremely well uh, some common and some divergent uh, reviews are being uh, worked out uh, uh, white papers that will actually help to build that kind of community uh, that will be able to share these images with each, with each other, share the data with each other and enhance the numbers that, of course, with dementia research, we don't always have for yeah. clinical trial. That's fabulous. Um, moving over just a little bit, I'm curious to know how your work fits into the work that's being done by the PIA and how the PIA is supporting your work as well as how you're contributing within the PIA? So, uh, I mean, uh, for our work, I think we have a, a really fabulous uh, uh, synergy with what's going on in the PIA and, and, and that helps a lot. So when I started to work on, on the eye, um, 
everyone was concentrating on the central vision, so the so-called macula. Um, this is what every optometrist and ophthalmologist looks first, the, the, the side of central vision. But uh, someone who is coming from not the opt ophthalmology field, uh, like myself, I immediately ask the question, uh, hold on, that, that's about 10, 15, 20% maybe, the whole back of the eye. Is it possible that we are miss missing something? And um, so, so my work uh, started out to ask this question, what happens on the peripheral retina? And this is a very, uh, it, it might sound a mundane thing that well, peripheral retina is not that important, but of course, for patients who are losing some of their uh, uh, complexions, navigating your environment is very important. Seeing, you know, with your peripheral vision that there is a, uh, not necessarily a lion coming uh, from the side, but but uh, could be a bus or or there is a, a, a sofa and you bump into that, making your life uh, much more complicated is, a, is potentially a very important issue. And uh, so I, my group uh, established a contact with a company which was starting to make a camera called Optos PRC, uh, who uh, can image the whole back of the eye or at least a, a much bigger uh, version than uh, what we could see before, that suddenly opened up the opportunity to look at what happens in the peripheral retina. And my research really in Alzheimer's took off from there because we identified vascular changes uh, that are more visible on the periphery than, than it would be in the central uh, areas of the, the retina. Also, we saw extracellular deposit formation, which in the eye they call drusen. They're not identical, but not dissimilar uh, from amyloid plaques. You can see that more on the periphery. And how, how this came together with other members of the PIA, uh, uh, Maya Coronio's group uh, was studying the whole back of the eye post-mortem. And actually they found also that uh, it seems that the features they are identifying as uh, amyloid uh, deposition is actually um, uh, more on those peripheral areas uh, than, than necessarily in the central one. And given that uh, now there is a, a camera that, uh, is that, that is proposed to be detecting amyloid beta in a live patient, um, and uh, it's, uh, there is a special technology, but also a so-called hyperspectral imaging, now we have the opportunity to, to follow this up, this original observations, pathologically as well as uh, clinically that the peripheral retina might be a, a better indicator uh, together with the macula, but, but, but the inclusion is an important part that is now uh, bringing up new technologies and new ideas. So it sounds like your science is um, exemplar for the you just don't know until you look. And then That's, you were in the position I, I, I like to be able to look. I like that. I like that. And uh, uh, you are right. Absolutely. That if, if we put on a blinker, we will see what we are allowed to see. If we are allowed to view with a wider scope, uh, we might th find things. Maybe we have no idea what we are seeing, but the, the appearance of features, but more importantly, the progression of these features 
are going to be very important indicators for the disease. And, and this is one of actually the, one of the strengths of using the eye uh, as a biomarker for Alzheimer's disease, because uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies uh, cottoned on the idea that if you can generate an image in a couple of seconds for a, a few dollars or pounds, as opposed to have a brain imaging for every single time point of a clinical trial, and that could indicate the progression or regression of a disease. That is a very powerful tool uh, for, for clinical studies and clinical trials. And then of course, uh, which is I think quite important uh, potentially for, for, for the research you are doing is that uh, not only inexpensive and quick, but also extremely well tolerated by, by the patient. So uh, generating eye images, if, if we get to the point that the eye images could reflect a disease progression uh, and, and, and the efficacy of, of drugs, that would make uh, all those clinical trials uh, significantly simpler. That's wonderful in terms of being able to um, expand our clinical trials and make them more better tolerated, hopefully for those individuals who volunteer to be part. And I, I, don't, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but or ahead of you, but as I understand it, another one of these big downstream markers that you might be heading for or outcomes would be that this is a technology that could roll out to the general public for widespread screening and identification of people who are at risk. Is that something you talk about within, in the PIA? That that is absolutely the the the, the goal. So, uh, you know, by the time we the, the current medications are used, uh, patients are on their way uh, developing uh, or losing uh, some of their cognitive abilities. If we could use the eye to actually capture a little bit earlier what might be happening and how that changes, uh, a, a little bit earlier intervention could could make a, a heap of difference, not just for the patients, but also for their uh, care providers and, and, and of course society, because it's, uh, it's not uh, really a cheap um, uh, process to, to, to support people with, 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 with declining cognitive function. Wonderful. All right, uh, let's hope we get there and get there quickly, or we'll probably get there, just how fast, right? Um, you, you picked it up when I did my introduction that I'm from the diversity and disparities PIA. And so if I could just shift the conversation just a little bit to ask, sort of coming from that direct, ask a question that you may or may not have the answer to, but if you'd explore it with me, um, I'd appreciate it. As I understand it, there are sex and age and race differences in the eye, believe it or not. Yes. And I'd like to hear if you are aware of anything that PIA, your PIA is doing to um, address those differences, that, that natural variation that occurs in the technology or in the methods and, and how that comes up in your PIA? So it, it's absolutely true. In many, many eye diseases, uh, uh, we know that there are a, a sex imbalance and uh, we definitely, with all the studies we are doing, including pathological studies, we are very consciously looking at male, female combination uh, for 
because it's uh, we, we need we don't yet fully understand the, the 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 ramification of sex differences for example but so so definitely uh, it's a very important uh, uh, part of our harmonization that we we try to encourage people to make sure that there is male female comparison for example one of the difficulties which we find and we generally find that with uh, with with other eye diseases as well is that um, racial differences are are much more complex to to capture uh, whether that's because of cultural differences or 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 what drives that it's it's much more difficult to see people with uh, with, with with color um, uh, in in these studies and and trials and especially it's much more difficult to capture uh, uh, post-mortem material uh, from this population uh, populations uh, so we, we are uh, very strongly there is a lot of discussion about uh, whether anyone has access to to uh, uh, material that has different uh, genetic uh, and, and uh, factors uh, that that we could study so uh, I think there are things that are easier to address like male female um, um, but so it, it, it does sound like a lot of your efforts around um, diversity and natural variance within the peers focused or, or counting on um, issues of representation, right? You need to have people in these studies that represent a, a very wide um, segment, if not as wide as possible, right, of the populations that this might be, these technologies and advances might be benefiting. Do you think with some of the advances in the retinal technologies that you're talking about, you are going to make those technologies more accessible, they'll become more accessible to cohorts where there may be higher, um, rep higher representation of uh, sexual and gender minorities and racial minorities? One of the difficulty uh, with, with, with high uh, end technologies to detect changes is that the machinery is expensive very often use uh, very highly precision uh, engineered parts and therefore it's more difficult to travel but time is changing now we have a lot of handheld cameras which uh, we can take to the patients rather than asking the patients to come to us and i think that is going to make a difference patients really like to to see what the outcome of the of the procedure is so um, we had a, a feasibility study this so-called deep and frequent phenotyping study uh, that is run, running right now in the UK and I lead the ophthalmology side of it is that when patients came in we generated the pictures and they could come around and we could show them the different layers they could understand what we are looking for we could point out features like the optic nerve head the vessels and maybe a, a, a deposit here, a deposit there, which is uh, not necessarily disease, but, but just part of aging. So uh, this actually, I believe, will, will uh, make a big difference. The patients did appreciate that and like that. And I think that opens, uh, oh, sorry. Sorry, I just, I'm just curious, since you have this unique experience of being able to, having shown people pictures of their eyes, in the context of the study, what were some of the most common reactions you were hearing? And how do you think I it facilitated think, their engagement in the study? 
I think they are quite amazed how beautiful the back of the eye is. Uh, you know, it's it's extremely well organized. It's 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 very pretty. Uh, lots of colors from red, orange, green, blue, uh, all that comes together. So it's it's visually impressive. And when you look at some other modalities like the optical coherence tomography, which shows you the every single layer, then, then, then people are developing an appreciation uh, the complexity we are faced with, but also they understand how we so it's relatively easy to make them understand how we analyze images and i think that's that's a that's a great advantage to build uh, trust and interest on on participating in studies do you hear people react sort of acknowledging well this was different than i thought it was or confirming this was exactly what i thought it was no i i have to say we we do hear that fairly often because um, often we still dilate the eye, okay? Because it, you can generate much better images if your pupil are, are, are wide open. Uh, so that, that's not very comfortable, but it's not uncomfortable. And the fact that within, let's say half an hour, uh, we can do a fairly thorough uh, imaging uh, of the patients with the inclusion of giving them uh, a, a little tour of the back of their eye that makes them uh, quite positive about the the experience and and the feedback was very very positive uh, and I'm sure it's not because we gave them a, a, a biscuit and uh, and a cup of tea but because of uh, of what they went through and and there was one there is one very important element of this is that because we have to dilate their eye we have this absolutely amazing throwaway sunglasses which we give people because uh, because we want to make sure that the the, the the strong sunlight doesn't bother them too much and and they uh, and we keep telling them that you know uh, now they can go out to the wide world and and either the boys or the girls will be falling over to to get their attention with this funky eyeglasses <laughs> So a little like a, a study giveaway, if you will. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. Do you do you ever um, but one more stick and one more question before we, we sort of move on? I'm just curious. Do you see any do you have any concerns with talking patients through their images or do you think it's just it's really been just all positives? So uh, we are not uh, clinicians, so uh, I'm, I'm a basic scientist, and and most of my team are not basic scientists. So we we are not analyzing the images on the spot. Uh, so we are not giving them any sort of indication whether there is anything bad or wrong because we are just not qualified to do that. But of course, uh, we are immediately we have a clinician on board who is uh, leading the clinical side of the studies. And we have an obligation to very quickly look at the images in case of incidental findings, um, and we report that very quickly. So, um, you know, unless unless we see something very very obvious, uh, none of these changes are sort of jumping at you that oh, there is something uh, that that is so obvious. Uh, but if there is a problem, we immediately alert. The, the clinicians and um, so if, for that reason we don't have a negative experience so far 
we have been in the situation where we found something that uh, had to be reported and acted upon. In fact, it it happened to one of the one of the neurologists who were involved in this study that when we got together, this is just an interesting anecdote how it works. We, we sat down around the table discussing this study and uh, uh, this clinician said to the ophthalmologist that, you know, there is some funny feeling in the, in the back of the eye. Uh, maybe at lunch break, if you don't mind just having a look because uh, I'm flying to the United States in the uh, evening and, and, and just making sure that everything is fine. And then an hour later, the ophthalmologist came back, but not the neurologist because he was already uh, on the operating theater with a retinal detachment, uh, which happened in the far periphery, which uh, we could detect with our technologies. And, uh, and basically what it meant uh, is that if he had flown to the United States, probably by the time he landed, he would have been, uh, he has lost the vision on, on that eye. So there, these kind of things can happen, uh, rarely happen, uh, but we are prepared to do that. But we're certainly not qualified to give a, a clinical diagnosis to the patient. So we would refer them straight away uh, to their uh, uh, clinician. So it sounds like um, you've put together these studies in sort of a very thoughtful way, as I would expect, that you have protocols in place to deal with incidental findings or sort of unexpected findings that might come up and to even deal with what might be emergent situations. Yes, yeah, thankfully uh, eye is, is, is very, very, very rarely uh, is, is such a, an emergency. So we don't have uh, uh, bleeding eyes and that kind of thing. So, so um, it is possible to do eye imaging in this way. So you don't need to immediately re react. But as I said, we, we do as soon as we identify some kind of abnormalities that requires um, uh, a specialist uh, uh, specialist idea uh, or specialist review, we immediately refer them. I have to say, I'm excited. I can't wait to see some of these images uh, that you've been talking about. Is there any chance that this, these images or other work from your P is going to be at AIC this year? Uh, there will be. Um, uh, so we, we will have a PIA day, an IPIA uh, day, uh, where there will be uh, reports. Uh, there are a number of uh, talks as well as uh, um, posters from the PIA. We are collating this information right now and uh, we are very excited about that because it's, it's really going to be the, the really the first sort of real presence of RPA at, uh, at, at the meeting. So it's going to be fantastic to hear and see what people who don't necessarily be engaged with eye imaging will think of these, these findings. Congratulations for the, the arrival of the PIA, on the, uh, for, PIA for the first AAIC. Do you, have, um, do you have a program planned for PIA Day that you'd want to share with the audience? We have a program. We, uh, I think it's just about to be uh, populated on the iStar website. Uh, so uh, I would direct anyone to the iStar, iStar website uh, and, and look for the IPA, uh, the I as a biomarker for ADPA uh, to, to look for the most up-to-date one. Um, we just recently had the, uh, the uh, steering committee uh, meeting 
and we were discussing this so this is uh, definitely within days it will be part of the website you also said i i heard you sneak it in there that you're collating information for presentations and posters that will be happening at AIC. Do you know where that information will be posted or how people can get a copy of it? Yeah, uh, again, uh, we will be uh, disseminating all that information through the, the, the different channels. We are present on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and, and every forum which, uh, which we can reach out to people. And, and again, this information will be on the, the iStart website uh, very soon. But we will be continuously monitoring the, the program. And uh, as uh, the communication chair, uh, I will be, I will be uh, disseminating the idea how to, to gain the best uh, access to it. And uh, we will be alerting to people um, regularly of any new uh, information coming out. That's right. As communication chair, I couldn't be asking a better person. Well, I'm not sure about that. You, you are the bet, better judge than me. That <laughs> the information I'm giving is useful. It's been fabulous. Um, I am curious. You, you mentioned way back earlier, as we just started talking, the the PIA has about 300 people in it. Is that right? Yes, we have 316 members uh, right now, and uh, and I I imagine that this number will gradually increase because as i said ophthalmology is really coming to age uh, and uh, 20 years ago it was difficult to to have a conversation with a neurologist about um, the eye and, and and the brain of course we had the neuro ophthalmologist for very uh, specific uh, uh, conditions but then uh, with the new technologies, this conversation became uh, very fluent. And, uh, and thankfully now we are the ones who are, uh, who are being asked to be part of clinical studies uh, as, a, as a potential surrogate. Unfortunately, we are not yet at the point that we can absolute, with absolute certainty say uh, what are the connections, but I think we are very close uh, to that tipping point where the value of uh, eye imaging and eye pathology for detecting and monitor, rather monitoring and uh, the progression of the disease is, is becoming reality. It's so exciting. I, I have to, I'm going to guess here, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but within that group of uh, member, PIA members, you probably have a fair amount of diversity in terms of You've got students, postdocs, senior scientists. Is that right? To be That's absolutely groups. right. And, and, and we are very, very strongly encouraging everyone to, to, to join because I think it's a, it's a new, new territory. Um, undoubtedly, uh, there is a, 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 an evolutionary uh, similarity or, or, or uh, between the eye and the brain, so they are from the same embryonic uh, origin, uh, same similar type of cells are forming both uh, the retina and the brain structure. So there is every reason to think that we can connect the two. And I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking about uh, um, that the eye happens first or the brain or the brain happens first and then the eye. It's, it's just the same things 
seem to happen, whether there is a causality, that's going to be an interesting question to, to examine in the future. So I think, I think there is a lot of interest in, in, in uh, the younger people because it's, it's actually really beautiful to work on the retina. Obviously, I'm biased, but, but it's such a nice structure when you are doing immunostaining or trying to look for um, features, you can find them. <laughs> so I have two questions for you. As someone, you look at me, consider me someone interested in being part of your PIA. Um, and before I get to the nuts and bolts of, of sort of how could I reach out to become involved, but two, two sort of questions is as an individual who's from outside of this work, right, very much from another area of, of the, a shared science, um, would there be a place to get involved or how as a, a total newbie could I get involved in the PIA and would it be a safe and welcoming and okay place for me to do that? Or is really the level of sophistication that's happening here, I'm going to get in the way. And it, it's more of a, it wouldn't be as helpful. No, I, I think I'm very confident to say that uh, uh, anybody who have an interest uh, to explore uh, what's happening in the eye would be welcome. That's absolutely certain. And joining is very simple. Uh, as an iStar member, you just navigate to the, uh, uh, the our page, the I as a biomarker for AD uh, page, and there is a simple click on become a member, and um, you you uh, sign up there, and you will start getting automatically the the basic information. We also organize uh, regular meetings, and that uh, every year basically starts with a, a summary of what happened last year. Uh, seminar. One of our young colleagues is, is tasked with the the job of giving us an overview of what happened the year before, and and that's actually a wonderful place for people like yourself who doesn't necessarily have the 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 the, the breadth of knowledge on ophthalmology because that's where you can really learn how the field moved forward compared to the year before. Uh, so, so uh, you would be very, very welcome to join. And, and there are lots of interesting questions that, of course, uh, come up uh, about, you know, the vision uh, or the eyesight is one of our most precious sensor uh, for people. And therefore, uh, you know, losing uh, uh, sight is a very important issue financially psychologically and every other aspect of life. So uh, getting people involved from different uh, areas and, and think about thinking together, uh, what is the ramification of a finding we have is, is actually a very important uh, aspect which we'd like to, to explore. Fabulous. I'd be happy to have those conversations. You know, in our, in our PIA, again, the Diversity and Disparities PIA, we have representation in our membership from like all over the world. And one of the things that I hear is that it's hard for people to make meetings, if for no other reason than time zones alone, right? Not to get to the busy schedules and all of the other work demands. Um, but does your PIA, and it's okay if not, I guess, um, does your PIA have ways for people to participate if they can't make the meetings? Or do you make any adjustments to your meetings to try to deal with that issue of time zones and schedules? So uh, we have uh, some uh, issues already, <laughs> given that our chair is in in, um, in San Diego. So 
uh, you know, for him to wake up, we are ready to drink our first beer in the pub. So we need to find a, a time, but it's it's basically almost impossible to cover all time zones. Uh, there is a quite a bit of discussion amongst the steering committee. Uh, how could we cover this? And uh, we try to record meetings. Uh, so making it sure that those who are unable to participate, uh, they can. So um, yes, absolutely. Uh, we are trying to find different days, uh, times when it's more suitable for people uh, to join. And uh, and we are keeping a, a keen eye on the membership. So uh, the members who are signing up to PIA, that so we understand what is there geographic lo location and, and how could we uh, uh, make inclusion uh, as seamless as possible. Wonderful. So th it does sound like this is one of the challenges that we deal with in this field, especially as a global community, but the ERP is willing to, uh, is welcome to everybody. And there's ways to get in touch and to have access to the content and maybe even contribute even with some of those challenges. Imre, I got to tell you, this has been, this is our first meeting and it's been a pleasure to have this opportunity to sit and talk with you and get to know you a little bit. And, and thank you for sharing the work that's going on in the PIA that's amazing and your own work. I've really appreciated it. Thank you very much, Shana. It was, it was, it was, it's always amazing to talk to people who are not immediately on the field because you ask some really interesting question. And I, I hope that the, 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 the listeners will, will enjoy uh, a little bit of different insight than, than what we usually talk about hardcore science, for example. Thank you for listening over the past week. iStartPIAs are a great way to expand your network and find new collaborators who hope these podcasts have inspired you to become involved. You can find profiles of myself and our one, my wonderful guest and information on how to become involved in the iStart on our website at dementiaresearcher.nihr.com ac.uk and also at www.alls.org forward slash iStart. We are looking forward to next week's AIC conference. So if you haven't already registered, visit alls.org for more information. Finally, please remember to like, subscribe, and leave a review of this podcast through our website, iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud and all the other places you can find podcasts. I'm Shana Stites. Thank you so much for listening. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK, Alzheimer's Society, Race Against Dementia, and the Alzheimer's Association, bringing you research, news, career tips, and support 